I want to preach today a message that came out of our our prayer time. Last week and this week are tied together, but I want to kind of explain how this one came to, and we'll kind of explain how they're tied together in a few minutes. But a a message that really came out of our prayer time is a staff. Every Tuesday at 7 o'clock in the morning, we meet here at church and we pray together for an hour. And we try to figure out what's God saying at the church, what are the overarching prayer requests. Matter of fact, um, if you're on Facebook, you'll see every week there are two like overarching prayer requests. Meaning, it's not just, you know, um, so-and-so is sick. It's more, more things that are broad umbrella issues for the church. And so those are posted on Facebook every week, so you're hopefully joining with us in praying about those things. So every Tuesday we, we pray, and uh, two weeks ago, so not this last Tuesday, but the Tuesday before, we were praying, and we're kind of, we meet in the, the junior high room, and we're just walking around praying. And, and Pastor Chris kind of stopped everybody and says, hey, I, 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 I kind of want to stop here. And I feel like um, the Lord's given me a picture in my mind. And I think it has a spiritual meaning to it. And I want to explain what I think the Lord's saying to me right now. And we, had, we do this from time to time. I think a few weeks earlier, Suzanne had done the same thing. She said, hey, I think God is leading us to pray this certain direction. And so he described the picture that he's seeing, and although I can't climb inside his head, I tried my best to understand the picture that he was describing. And the picture was of something that maybe you've seen in the past also, a picture of a flower um, growing out of a crack in the concrete. And the best I can figure out, it looks something like this. So I'm not sure, Pastor Chris, if that's what it looked like, but something like that. A, a flower growing in a place where it didn't belong, Growing out of a spot, you're going, how can a flower, I can't grow flowers in my garden, I can't grow tomatoes. How can a flower grow in the concrete? And so he described that picture he was seeing, and um, it was interesting because he kind of had this sense, while we were praying for families in our church and individuals in our church that are going through some really very difficult times right now. And he felt that the picture was intended to be a reminder to us as we were praying, that we need to look at all the people at Portview that at one time were in seemingly impossible situations. That their lives were like kind of a barren slab of concrete, kind of dead and lifeless. But now, by the grace of God, by the love of God, by the transforming power of Jesus, their lives look like that. They look like beautiful flowers. Beauty Growing in an incredibly unlikely place. So this, as this, you know, he told us this that when we really believed it was a, a word from the Spirit of the Lord. So I really, we really felt like we started praying with a greater sense of faith for the people we were praying for. Some of you in here that we were praying for in the situations that you're in, um, situations you're going through that are kind of kind of difficult and challenging. You don't know what the end's going to be. And as we continued to pray, I kind of felt that there was a next section to it. But the Lord gave me an additional insight into this picture. And I began to just pray it out loud. I didn't stop everybody, I just started praying it out loud. And, and it was this, and it was a phrase, and the phrase immediately made sense to me, and I'll explain it, but it made perfect sense in, in the way the Lord just kind of dumped it into my spirit. And it was this, that soil is decayed life. Follow me. That the dirt that those, that, that flower grows from in that little crack, um, that dirt that's in that crack is decayed plant life of some type. Something had to die and decay in order for something else to grow. In fact, something new could not grow until something living had died and decayed. So no death and decay, then no dirt from which new life 
can spring. And those flowers in the crack in the concrete could only grow because some other plant had lived there in some capacity. Maybe it was either under the concrete before the crack and it was dirt. Something else, some other plant had to die in order for that to happen. And the Lord really spoke in my heart. Then what's, what's he saying? That likewise, in people's lives, um, the beauty that God wants to bring only comes through death of something else. You know, and it hit me. This is the message from the empty tomb. From death springs life. So that's the second message I want to talk about today. From death springs life. The message from the empty tomb. You see what Jesus, Good Friday, needed to precede Resurrection Sunday. Death preceded life. Think of this. If Jesus had not died... He would not have risen from the dead and all the good that the resurrection brought would not have ever resulted. You know, during Jesus' life, think of this, he had this ragtag group of misfits following him, fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes and and all kinds of other things. And in fact, at the end of his life, not even that ragtag group was following him anymore, but then came his death. Everyone thought it was the end. His little following would soon forget about him. His name would be forgotten amongst the many other false prophets that had come and gone over the centuries. But what they thought was all wrong. Death did not bring an end to his plan. Instead, it propelled his plan forward like nothing else in the world could have ever done. Because out of his death sprang life. It was because he died that Easter Sunday was so amazing. You know, think of this. If he had never died and just kept leading this charge of this ragtag group, that if he had never died, Sunday would have still come, but Sunday would have been like any other Sunday on the calendar. Thus the beginning of another Jewish work week. That's all it would have been. But he had died, and now he was alive. It was his death that made his life so miraculous. It was because of his death and following resurrection that that little ragtag band of followers proclaimed his message everywhere. That's what it says. You know, that little band um, that started off, matter of fact, they fled at the time of his death. They reassembled and then they started telling his message everywhere. And that little band experienced ridiculously explosive growth. They started with 12. They went back to zero. Then they went back to 12. By the day of Pentecost prayer time, they had 120 in the upper room praying. Then at the end of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, the 3,000 are added. And then just a few time, a little bit of time later, we don't know exactly how much time, but Peter preaches a second sermon and 5,000 more come to Christ. And as some experts estimate, Christians numbered over 30 million in the next 300 years. Now you say, that sounds like a lot, but you need to understand what 30 million was 2,000 years ago. 30 million was 56% of the entire Roman population at that time. So they started with virtually nothing, and they expanded to being 56% of of the, the entire real settled world. What's the message? From death springs life. Friends, this is something Jesus understood and taught his entire ministry, even before the resurrection. He's trying to get people to understand this. Grab your Bibles with me. Open up with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. Turn those phones on. Go past your turkey calling app. 
Scroll, get to your Bible app. John chapter 12. Starting in verse 23. This is what it says. It says, Jesus replied. Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for, this, for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Notice something. That we could, something we could very easily overlook. Jesus starts by saying, look what he says. The time has come for him to enter into his glory. In other words, it was the time when he would be glorified, when he would be exalted, where he would be seen to be who he really is, the Son of God. He calls himself here the Son of Man. It's the name Jesus calls to himself. But saying, I am who I say I am. I'm God's Son. In the context of the imagery that we're using today of this flower and the concrete, he's saying, it's a time is coming right now where I will sprout into the beautiful flower that I'm intended to be. Here's a question. What does Jesus say he will lead him into that glory? What does he say will lead him into his glory, into becoming this beautiful flower? He's going to start an insurrection and conquer the world. No. What's he say will lead him into his glory? Death. He says the thing that's going to lead him where he needs to go is death. He uses a metaphor to explain what he means here. He says it's like this. He says it's like a kernel of wheat. If it grows and develops and remains a single little kernel, whole and secure and healthy, it remains alone, it remains limited, and it really remains unproductive. It just is by itself. But if you take that same kernel and you bury it in the ground, and he says this, you bury it in the ground and something happens to it, it says, and it dies. He says from that death springs life. That one kernel produces many more new kernels. In other words, it's abundant, it's life-giving, and it finds fulfillment. Jesus uses this metaphor to describe the Christian life. If we just hold on to who we are and what we know, our little or big plans, our little or big dreams, we love to hold on to the life um, that we were born into, a life that, of what? That we control and we rule, a life defined by our goals and our limits, then the life we live, he's saying, will be limited and relatively unproductive and flowerless. But if we will give up that life, We'll let it die, and we'll really follow Jesus. That's what, what baptism talks about. And really follow Jesus. He says, if you go through that process, then you will thrive. The life of fulfillment and abundance and beauty that Jesus has for each of us only comes through death. The death of the self-willed life. Death with Christ. Death toward what, to what we think is really right and following his way and then rebirth into his plan and his purpose for each of us. From death springs life. And friends, we see this lived out over and over and over in the scriptures. Think with me today of Sarah. 
Sarah saw her dream of a son die. Remember, God promised Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son. And they're getting older and older and older and older and no son comes. And she grew, she grew too old. In essence, you could say this, her ability to give children, to bear children died. She's 90. She has no ability anymore to, to reproduce. Her, her productive system has died. Her reproductive system. And she even has a foolish attempt to fulfill that dream by herself. And that only leads to heartache with the birth of Ishmael through a servant girl. Right? Her dream of having her own son died. But friends, from death sprang life. God kept his promise. And that 90 plus year old lady gave birth to her son named Isaac. The second in the line of the patriarchs. Now here's the question that we have to think about. What made everyone look with such amazement and surprise and wonder and saying, what's really going on at the death, I mean, at the birth of Isaac? What was the thing that made them say, what's going on? Why, how is this? This guy's going to be something special. What was the thing? It was that he was birthed from death. He was birthed from a dead womb. It was impossible. A 90-year-old lady can't have a baby. But he was birthed. From death. He was a miracle child. Why? Because from death springs life. Think about Job. Job, he was a Bible says he was a godly man. And that godly man's doing everything right, and what happens to him? He loses everything. Family, health, wealth, everything is gone. It was in this condition of death. Matter of fact, in this condition of death, where his wife, one who didn't die, actually looks at him and just says, Curse God and die. Just die. There's nothing worthwhile in life for life for you. It was in this condition where death seemed like really the only helpful option that something beautiful happened. This is what happened. He really met God in that situation. In fact, it was after all the death in his life that he makes a comment, one of my favorite comments in all the Bible. He says basically this is a Mark version. Before I knew about God, but now I know you. Now I've seen you. What did it? The beauty of his life came through death. How about Peter? The death of his business. How about Paul? The death of his status. How about Matthew? The death of his wealth. In all of these, true life, the kind of life worth living. And hear me, friends, because this is what we don't talk about anymore in our American culture really of ease The kind of life worth living and worth dying for. That's what Christianity is. It's a life worth dying for. Came through the death of something in their lives. Listen to me today. Oftentimes the death of something in your life is God's gift. It's the soil from which something beautiful will grow. God's plan is that from death springs Life. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that death of something in your life is pleasant. I'm not saying it's easy. What I am saying is that God can redeem anything and everything in your life. And He will take the pain of death and use it as the soil for life and beauty in your life. He will turn it around. And he will make a sprout and a beautiful flower grow out of a dead, empty slab of concrete. The devil says, I got you locked up. Nothing good happening, God says, but a thing's going to die. And I'm going to bring life in your life. What I'm saying is that God can redeem anything. He can redeem everything 
in your life, friends. That's God's plan. When I was preparing this message, it reminded me of a friend of mine. His name is Pastor Sawn. I've got a picture of Pastor Sawn. It's the best picture I could find off of Facebook. Pastor Sawn's a guy in the middle with the white t-shirt. Pastor Sawn is the superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Cambodia. Pastor Son and I spent a lot of time together when we were missionaries in Cambodia. One of my main jobs was to basically, because I had been a pastor of churches in America, to spend time with Pastor Son and help him understand what it is to be a pastor. He was pastoring a whole nation. They told the somebody's of God for all the nation. But remember, they had no, no history. And so they just wanted me to spend time and invest in the Pastor Son and help him understand. And, and so Pastor Son um, is a wonderful man. He's an incredibly kind and loving man. He's very gentle in a very brutal culture. He's a very gentle man. He's a man, I would just describe him as as a man with a tender heart. And I'd say, he reminds me of Jesus. He was raised in a poor fishing village in Cambodia, overrun by the Khmer Rouge, who are communists. And uh, the communists tried to turn Cambodia into a into a socialistic utopia. And what they did to accomplish that is they killed everybody who had an education because they were challenged to that. So if you wore glasses, they shot you in the head because that means you could maybe read. If you went to school, they killed you. You know, they were, this was a French colony at one time, so there were doctors and lawyers and everything. They killed them all because you couldn't have anybody challenging that because you got to have the lowest common denominator of a few people in power and everybody else enslaved. Everybody else at the same line. No up and down. What happens then is you've got to have a few people with all the power and you kill everybody else who challenges that. It's happened over and over in country and country. It happened in Cambodia. Khmer Rouge, they brought in civil war to the nation and most of Son's family was either just murdered outright or him, their friends and their family were eventually starved. Matter of fact, estimates are that about 50% of the Cambodian people were murdered or starved to death under the Khmer Rouge. The entire nation was destroyed. The entire nation. The Khmer Rouge, because they basically starved their own people to death, eventually they lost power and they were driven out of power and driven into the jungles of Cambodia. And um, the Vietnamese, which is right next to them, Viet- Vietnam's right there, Vietnam was fighting against them because they were like, listen, you guys are destroying, you're just killing people. Of all people, the Vietnamese rose up and says, we got to stop these people because they're just killing all the people. And they, they flooded in. And they overran Cambodia. It wasn't very good for Cambodia either. At least it was a little better. But the Vietnamese, now they're going to use them as their puppets. And um, they basically captured some of the people who were alive. I mean, not like, you know, I guess at gunpoint captured them and, and made them basically their slaves. They're, they had to work for them and forced them into labor. Well, Pastor Son was one of those people. He's forced into labor by the Vietnamese army. So his whole country's dead. Um, everybody he knows is dead. Um, his nation is literally in starving and in shambles. The Vietnamese now come in and they force him at labor at gunpoint to, to have to serve them. And so one of the jobs that they gave the pastor son, and I was in, camp, in Phnom Penh driving by this place that I'm going to describe, and he told me about it. And I can't even imagine it. A place called S21. I've probably told you about it before. S21, another name for it is called Tul Salang. You want to just vomit after church, type in S21, Cambodia S21 into your thing. S21 was a high school that they turned into a into a torture camp um, because 
the Pol Pot, the head of the Khmer Rouge, they were totally paranoid, thinking it's trying to start this communist utopia that anybody who could rise up could cause them problems, so they would just take common people and they would torture you and say, who do you know is against the Communist Party until finally, you know, you would say, Dave, he did it, just in order to stop torturing me. So they'd get Dave, they'd bring him to S21, and they would torture him until he said, no, it was Suzanne. But they didn't just torture him and let him go. They tortured him until, until they finally died. So S21... You guys know me. I'm a, like a, kind of a, a guy's guy, hunt, fish, camp. You know, blood doesn't bother me. Guts don't bother me. None of that stuff. You know, it's like, I don't care. I get dirty. Don't care. It's one of the only places in my life I literally had to, halfway through, walking through the, which now a museum, walk through and walk out because I said, I'm going to vomit. I can't take any more. It's all pictures of what really was there. They photographed it and they put it on the walls. It's just, it's, it, I, mean, I mean, literally, I feel, I feel nauseous talking about Tool Slang. Well, the Vietnamese took Pastor Son and other guys, and what they would do every night is they would get them drunk. They'd force them to drink till they were drunk, and then they'd have to go into S21 and all the places like that and clean out all the dead bodies. These rotting, it's Cambodia. It's like living in a pizza oven. And they'd have to pull, in this 120 degree weather, these decaying bodies, pull them out, put them on trucks, and dump them into mass graves. Cambodia's got over 10,000 mass graves where the Khmer Rouge would just kill people. Brett and Miranda were just there at one place in Battenbong where it's a high mountain with a beautiful place, high mountain with a big, with a big crater in it. They just, Khmer Rouge just marched up thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and just pushed them off the edge. So the bottom is just filled of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of, of skeletons down there. So that's what Pastor Son lived through. Eventually, the world took notice. America didn't want to take notice because we just come out of the Vietnam War. And we're like, you know what? We can't go to another war in Southeast Asia. So America just turned a blind eye. I'm not saying they were right or wrong. I, you know, they're like, what else do we do? We tried to fight this place to fight communism, and you know, we couldn't really do it. How are we going to help this place? So America and the world turned a blind eye and let this all happen. Well, finally, the UN stepped in and said it's too bad. It's, it's a genocide. It's one of the worst genocides in the history of the world. Well, one of those UN leaders that came in was a, uh, uh, African American man, I mean, an African man from Africa. And he was a Christian. And he's working for the UN and he's part of the, the rebuilding team with the UN. And they had to hire translators. And I don't even know how, I never asked him, but Pastor Son knew English. He had somehow learned how to speak English. And so the UN hired him for this man as a translator. And that man continually told Pastor Son about this loving God and his son named Jesus that came to die for his sins. Something that a Buddhist man had never heard of in his entire life. So if you don't understand why we need missions, this is missions. Going to people who have never heard the truth. And he's telling them about Jesus. And uh, matter of fact, Pastor Son said it would make him angry. Because in Cambodia, it's so hot, they work very long days, but you work, it's kind of like if you understand the um, uh, South American and Central American culture, you work and they take a siesta. They don't call it a siesta, but you take a break in the middle of the day. It's so hot. So you take a couple hour break out of the heat, and then you work again in the evening. And what they normally do is they sleep during that time. Well, this guy wouldn't let Pastor Saul sleep. He just kept telling him about Jesus every single day. Every day. And he had to because he hired him. Pastor Saul had to listen. So he told him about Jesus. Well, eventually what happened is Son met Jesus. I won't take, tell you the whole story, but it basically went something like this. He finally said, well, this is real. All Cambodians, because they're, they're Buddhists, but they're more spiritist than everything. Every single house, and he would have lived in a little hut, but every little hut or house has a spirit house out in front of it. A place that you have an idol, 
and a place that every day you put some kind of fruit or a flower, a lotus flower, something that is a sacrifice to the spirits so that they won't harm you. So the house we lived in, the two houses we lived in Cambodia, had spirit houses out in front of it. You didn't have a choice. Every house is a spirit house. Now, believe me, we didn't have an idol in it. We didn't put fruit in it. But uh, we had an empty spirit house. But every house is a, every single property is a spirit house, and it's a little little uh, little house, and it's and they and they put their idol in there. So Pastor Son had his idol in that thing, and he's trying to figure out is this Christianity stuff right. And he finally said, God, if you're real, kill my idol. Well, the next day he comes out and his idol's laying down. He's like, Well, okay. It, the wind blew it down, although Cambodia is known for no wind. That's what it's known for. That's why it's so hot. So he sticks his idol back up, and he probably puts a banana in there, a plantain or something in there for the day. The next idol day he comes out, he says, God, if you're real, kill my idol. The next day he comes out, his idol's broken in pieces in his spirit house. He's like, okay, God, you're real. Jesus, you're real. So this man gives his life to Jesus in a place where they've never heard about Jesus, and he becomes one of the country's greatest spiritual leaders. Now, here's the point to the whole gruesome story. The death in his life, and I would say this, of his life. I mean, the death of his life. He, no person I could think could endure what he endured. Death of what he was, what he knew, everything he knew about his culture and his family and his life. The death of all that produced an incredible harvest. He is a great life of love and grace. Pastor Son is the flower. He is. And he has produced a great harvest. The church in Cambodia is thriving. Pastor Son's the head of it. From the death that the enemy inflicts springs life from God. And friends, I think that today God wants us to think about something. We ask ourselves a question. Is there something that needs to die within us so that real life can spring forth? Maybe it's the death to fear. Maybe you are letting fear hold you back from really following after God. Maybe God's challenging you to do something right now, to walk a step of faith, to, to just to embrace Him, but you're afraid to do it, and fear is holding you back. That needs to die today if that's happening so that life can spring forth. Maybe death of your self-willed life. You hold on to it so strong because America says, and the Western world says, you know, you've got it all right and it's your right to do whatever you want. And I'm saying this, yes, you're right, but it's not necessarily best. You're holding on to the self-willed, self-willed life. And if you're honest, it's probably not leading anywhere too great. Well, God wants you to follow Him, His way, so He can bring beauty into your life, develop your life into something beautiful. Maybe it's death to self-hate. You don't love yourself, even though God says He loves you. There's something in your past that you just can't forgive and forget. You say it's too bad. Not even God can forgive it. Friends, that's why God specializes in the Bible of always taking the worst people to be His leaders. You know, Paul and Moses and David are murderers. The Probably three main leaders of the whole Bible. They're murderers, every one of them. He goes, I'll use you. You're a killer. That way no one can say, oh, I'm too bad. I've told so many people in their lives, oh, you don't get me. This is a simple thing. If I went to church, the roof would fall in. I'm like, listen, I'm there. It doesn't fall in. And God uses murderers. You know? He can use them. He can use anyone. He can forgive any one of us. But some of you, maybe you need to let some self-hate die. You won't forgive yourself. There's something in your past you think it can't be forgiven. 
God wants that to die today. You need to understand this message. You are forgiven in Christ. You are forgiven. Maybe there's a death of a dream. You always thought that certain goals, certain dreams would lead you to joy and fulfillment, but you're getting those dreams and maybe you're seeing them fulfilled, maybe you're not, maybe they are fulfilled, but you say, guess what? It's not turning out the way I hoped it would. Friend, let God use the death of that to be the soil for something so much better. Maybe you've gone through some great pain and you've gone through death and you're like Job. You say, you don't know the pain of my life. I don't. Only you and God do. God wants to bring life out of that. I want to end today by praying in a particular way. You can all just stay seated and I'll have you come up in a minute. I want you to do something with me. We're going to pray a certain way. It's called a prayer of movement. And it's a, a historical Christian tradition in doing this way. And sometimes if, we, if we'll, we'll actually engage different ways in prayer, it has a profound effect. So I want to invite you to do something this morning. I want you to take your hands and kind of put them in your lap like this. Close your eyes with me this morning. Just, just put your hands in your lap. And I want you to place in your hands, by this sense of pretending you're doing it, place in your hands either what's died and is causing pain or what needs to die in your life. And I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken directly to you about what that is. Place in your hands the thing that needs to die in your life or the thing that has died and has caused so much pain. Just hold it in your lap. And I ask you to do something with it that, that maybe you've never done. Maybe because it's hurt, it hurts. Or you just can't even imagine giving that thing up. That you don't even think that way. You don't even go there. But I want you to do something this morning. As it's in your hands, I want you to, to try to experience it. I want you to try to feel it. To admit it. Maybe you've been really hurt by someone. Maybe you were abused. And that pain, you never, you've never really t- admitted it and turned into it. You just mask it and avoid it. Today is a safe place. I want you to, to name it to yourself. And I want you to put it in your hands. Just allow yourself to feel it. I want you to take your hands. I want you to lift them up slightly. Just kind of maybe up towards your chest. Just slightly holding that thing in your hands. Holding, what you're doing now is you're holding your prayers. You're holding that situation, that pain, that hurt or that thing that needs to die. You're, you're holding it up to God. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to invite Jesus into the situation. Invite Jesus into the darkness. Invite Jesus into the pain. Ask him, what does he have to say about your situation? Ask him, what does he think about you? Maybe you're full of self-hate. You're holding up this a little bit today. And you're inviting the Lord into it. And you're saying, what do you think about it? How do you feel about it, God? Allow yourself to 
to live in that for a moment. Now what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hands up and separate them above your shoulders. Raise it up and separate them. And what you're doing is you're releasing the situation into the care of God. So Lord, you know these things we've been holding in our hands. You know these things that keep us back. That keep us from, from life. That keep us from experiencing the beauty and the goodness and the abundance that you want for your children. There's some things that need to die. God, we've held them up to you. We've invited you in and we've released them to you. There's some death that's already occurred and it's hurtful and it's painful and some people have never wanted to ever even go there or admit it. But today, God, by an act of faith and trust in you, maybe for the first time they've lifted it up and now they've released it to you. And I pray this, Holy Spirit, receive these things that we've given Receive them and take them away. Let them die so that life may spring forth. Replace beauty for ashes. Joy for sorrow. And in this church family today, God, as we release these things, and some of us may need to do this exact process every morning, every afternoon, for for days or weeks, To finally say, God, now really take it away from me as we release it to you. Father, receive it. Receive it, God. And make us whole. Make us beautiful. Make us abundant in you. So, Father, we give you our pain, our hurt, our disappointments. And we ask, God, now make beauty rise out of the soil of that decaying thing. From life, from death, spring life. We trust you to do it, God.